I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> Kia ora. Welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast and thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host Jordan, I'm a mum of one, soon to be two boys and a lover of all things birth and a very passionate storyteller. The goal of Kiwi Birth Tales is to empower, inform, educate and connect families from New Zealand and all over the world, talking about the things that are so often kept to ourselves or shared with only our nearest and dearest because of this taboo that seems to surround sharing stories about birth. All stories deserve to be heard, no story more important than the other, And with this podcast, you'll get a variety without bias. The podcast is not intended for medical advice. I'm not an advocate for any particular mode of birth or birth care. And this platform is simply here to share these beautiful, empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. So I hope you enjoy. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Liv. And Liv takes us through her initial um, pregnancy journey, which unfortunately ended in a miscarriage. And then she talks through... The processing of that and falling pregnant again. She talks us through her pregnancy experience and what that was like for her, what sort of birth she was planning, and then into her birth story, which was um, not what she expected it to be. And so she talks us through the sort of processing of some birth trauma after her birth. And then she unfortunately had an episode of sepsis, which was pretty life threatening at the time. So we discuss what that was like for her and the treatment of that and how that sort of impacted her journey into motherhood. So I think this is a really unique episode and I really enjoyed speaking to Liv about her experiences. So I hope that you find something in there that is a useful takeaway. I did have a bit of a sick little baby when we recorded this episode. So Liv was a trooper um, listening to him snuffle throughout the whole thing. But I tried to make that um, as quiet as possible. So hopefully it's not too much of a deterrent while you're listening to the episode. And I hope you enjoy. Hey Liv, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Awesome. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Liv. I'm 26 years old and I am from New Zealand. Um, I am a registered nurse at a private skin and cosmetic clinic. And I, yeah, I have a blog on motherhood and nursing that I write about every now and then. Um, And in my family, there's Kian, who's also 26. He grew up in London and he works in engineering recruitment, but he used to be a professional rugby player. And we have a six-month-old son called Blake. Yeah, awesome. And what was the journey like to pregnancy for you guys? Um, So it started, well, we met four and a half years ago and um, I was studying at university in Dunedin. And he was just there playing rugby um, on a bit of a sabbatical from Ireland where he was playing rugby before that. Um, So, yeah, we met in Dunedin and did a bit of long distance and we went back and forth from the UK and New Zealand, um, just living in both countries. Um, And he got a job as a professional rugby player in the UK so we moved there I think it was the end of 2019 um and we lived there for a year and a half so um he was playing rugby down in Cornwall for about six months um before I found out I was pregnant the first time um and we were yeah living in Cornwall I was working as a nurse in a big NHS hospital there um in the theaters and um yeah I found out I was pregnant in March 2020 
we were not definitely not trying for a baby but I'd been off the pill for about a year just to have my hormones level out um, after being on it for so long and I was just using flow just to track my periods Um, and then one night I went to the gym with a friend and we were doing a core class and I literally couldn't even do like three sit-ups so I thought something was (laughs) not that I was very good at core to begin with but um I thought something might be up so I just um went to the supermarket on the way home and picked up a few pregnancy tests and yeah it came back positive which I was pretty terrified about to be honest considering um we were in the middle of well not in the middle on the start of a pandemic I should say and everything over there with COVID was really fresh no one really knew what was happening Um, and I was working in the hospital as well so I felt a bit vulnerable yeah being pregnant and um, potentially exposing myself to COVID so I wasn't definitely wasn't as excited initially as Kian was. Kian was really happy, um, which was nice. Um, And then, yeah, I think we told our family straight away. I was only about five weeks along. And we just had a discussion with them around, you know, the safety of being in the UK versus New Zealand with COVID. Uh, And we made the decision just to move back to New Zealand as soon as possible. Um, We had a feeling that the borders might close. So we we wanted to get back home just to avoid any, um, yeah, being stuck in the UK, basically. Uh, yeah, so basically in one weekend, we packed up our whole life and got on a plane back to New Zealand. Um, yeah, so on the plane back, I was definitely feeling a little bit off. Uh, and I didn't think it was anything serious. I just thought... You know, I might be, I'm scared of flying anyway. So I was quite anxious about flying for 24 hours. Um, and I felt much better when I got off the plane. Um, so, yeah. And then we went over to Waiheke and self-isolated for um, a couple weeks. And about three days in, I um, got the feeling that something you know, wasn't right with the pregnancy. So I made an appointment with the GP and got a blood test and it came back quite low. Uh, so I, my HCG, sorry, came back low. Um, and so I had another blood test a few days later and that confirmed that I was, yeah, about to basically have a miscarriage. Um, yeah, so that was really hard being in lockdown we'd sort of made the decision to move back to New Zealand because of the pregnancy and to have that you know end (laughs) sort of was the the opposite of what we were trying to achieve by keeping keeping the baby safe by by leaving all our friends and Kian's family over there so yeah I think that was really it was really tough mentally and yeah so um that was basically yeah where our our journey started because after that we sort of realized how badly we did you know what that baby so yeah yeah and how did you go I guess like processing um losing that pregnancy and such huge life changes for you guys moving across the world and yeah I can just imagine mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been an easy time at all so do you want to talk us through yeah, grieving for that loss and just where you were at at that time. Yeah, I think for me it was definitely a longer process than it was for Kian because obviously it was, you know, my body and I'd sort of prepared. You know, you think about the future and you think of that baby being in it and you change your whole life around, you know, that baby. So I think for me mentally it was really difficult. Um, I think I coped by just getting back straight back into work uh so I went back to my old job where I was working before I left to England as a nurse and that just kept me really busy and yeah I think I just slowly um yeah healed I guess over the next few months um got into exercise and and yeah yeah 
Yeah. And so how did you decide or did you decide that you want to start trying for another baby? I know you said that um, after falling pregnant, you know, you it was something that you definitely both wanted. So how did you go about deciding when the right time might be to try again? And yeah, what did that journey look like for you guys? I wanted to wait a few more months to start trying again. So we did that and then I think we started trying in June. So I had the miscarriage in April and we started trying again in June. Um, It didn't happen straight away. And in August, we were in another lockdown. I think it's a curse or a blessing, something (laughs) for my my pregnancy. Um, in Auckland and we had actually we were living with my dad at that point while we were trying to look for a house to buy in Auckland and we were staying in an Airbnb because my dad's partner was high risk to COVID so during lockdown we we moved out while I was working as a nurse yeah so we were in an Airbnb uh, and I I was almost hoping that I wasn't pregnant at that time just because we didn't really know what was happening with the lockdown and um, everything just happened so quickly. So yeah, I was working full time and we were just doing a supermarket shop and I just decided that um, I would get some pregnancy tests just to check, (laughs) just to see if I was just in um, case, (laughs) just in case. Yeah, basically. Uh, and I was still four days away from my next period. So I knew it was really early and I didn't have any symptoms. Uh, yeah, so I went and picked up some pregnancy tests and I got the blue dye ones, which in hindsight was a bad idea because apparently they're the worst ones to get, especially if you <laughs> if you haven't even missed your period yet because they can be quite, I think, unreliable positives so I took it and it was like a really really faint um blue line but again I didn't really believe it because I'd looked it up online and it said that they can be quite inaccurate so I decided to wait a couple more days again I didn't have any symptoms at all I just thought I was going to get my period but I was yeah just making sure so I did one of those first response tests and yeah it came back with a second pink line um and I was definitely in shock um I went and showed Kian and yeah Kian was really excited I just told him straight away and yeah so that's how we found out we were pregnant nothing too exciting but um yeah yeah Yeah. and what about your sort of mental health and how you were feeling in terms of this pregnancy, having had a miscarriage previously, was that playing on your mind? And yeah, I guess, how were you feeling? Yeah, I think to begin with, I was really anxious about um, the, yeah, about the chance that I might have another another miscarriage. Um, And so I scheduled a blood test just to make sure that my HCG levels were rising and they were, which was really reassuring and that sort of kept me positive until I could get that early dating scan at I think about seven weeks we got that yeah so once I saw the heartbeat I was I actually relaxed a lot um, and I just thought there's nothing else I can do on my end now apart from you know eating healthy and looking after myself so I think I relaxed a lot more after that dating scan yeah yeah And how were you feeling throughout the rest of your first trimester? Did you have many pregnancy symptoms that popped up or, yeah, what was your first trimester like? Yeah, so my symptoms were um, pretty bad in terms of the tiredness. I didn't get any nausea or vomiting, really. I just had that, like, all-day fatigue, which was really hard while I was working 40 hours a week as a nurse. Um, so I would basically just get home and like collapse on the couch and just wake up at like 10 p.m. and put myself to bed basically. And that sort of continued for the first couple months. Uh, but that was pretty much the only symptom. So in that sense, I was really lucky. I was just really tired. Um, and then as soon as the second trimester hit, I felt really, yeah, I felt great. To be honest, I had heaps of energy and 
it was summer so yeah no it was yeah yeah awesome and did you choose to go with a midwife for your care or what uh, model of care did you choose yeah so in um lockdown I think there was a bit of a baby boom so a lot of the midwives were snatched up really quickly and I did leave it quite late I left it until I was about 11 or maybe 10 or 11 weeks to find a midwife I was just using my GP before that um and by that time I couldn't find any like midwife independent midwives so yeah so I was just given one from the community which to be honest I wasn't I wasn't too upset about it like I'm a nurse myself and I feel quite confident and knowing you know if, if something was wrong or um yeah so I think that was yeah it, it definitely wasn't a, a bad thing for me um and my sister had been working as a doctor in obstetrics for two years at that point so she was a good um person to talk to if I had any problems as well yeah so Cool. And did you do the sort of standard testing that's offered in New Zealand in your second trimester? And did you end up finding out the sex of your baby? Yeah, so we decided not to get the NIP test, the blood test, um, just because we we decided beforehand we didn't want to terminate the pregnancy, even if, you know, it found something like Down syndrome. Um and so we just decided to wait until the anatomy scan. We're, and I was feeling really healthy anyway, so I was pretty confident with that pregnancy. Uh, so, yeah, we got the anatomy scan, I think, at 19 weeks, 20 weeks. And we did want to find out the gender, so she wrote it in an envelope and gave it to us. And, yeah, so all the organs and, and everything looked great. Um they did find an abnormality called a subcenturiate lobe, which is basically just an extra lobe off the main placenta that was joined by blood vessels. And so my main placenta was sitting on the front of my uterus, and then that lobe was just sitting behind on the posterior part. So that in itself doesn't cause complications, but it does have an increased risk of complications that go with it like um, a risk of prematurity or can it affect how well the baby's growing or if the blood vessels are sort of covering the cervix it can cause something called vasoprevia which is a life-threatening complication for mum and baby but luckily um, I didn't have that so the blood vessels were going over the top of my uterus not over the um, on the bottom so wasn't any risk to baby when he was going to come out sort of thing it wasn't blocking blocking the exit (laughs) which is good yeah so I did definitely feel some anxiety around that Um, when I found out about it just because it is quite rare I think it's one in every 500 pregnancies um have it so yeah so once I did a bit more research on it I felt a lot better uh yeah but because of that I had um a growth scan scheduled every four weeks so just to check on baby's growth which I was happy with anyway sort of yeah relieved my anxiety (laughs) yeah Cool. And did you do any antenatal classes or birth education or anything like that in the lead up to your birth? Not really, not as much as I should have. Um, I sort of left it to the last minute and then at 37 weeks I started panicking because I knew that I was about to give birth and I kind of had no idea what I was about to go through. So um, I I didn't read one baby book my whole pregnancy, which in hindsight that was pretty stupid (laughs) um yeah so I did your birth course um at 37 weeks in my panic so yeah that was actually really helpful and just teaching me some like breathing techniques and um helpful for Kian to know what to do around supporting me through labor and just the different stages of labor so that was yeah that was really helpful um and we did antenatal classes at parent center so again I didn't learn too much from that I think Kian got a lot more out of it than I did just because I 
I knew most of the stuff um, that they were talking about, but we got a really good coffee group out of it. So we, yeah, that was our main reason for joining, just to have that support network after birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did the classes and I expressed some colostrum beforehand. Um, and yeah, it became a bit of a hobby actually, just trying to get colostrum. I, I, I gave myself a challenge to get as much as I could. So yeah, I ended up getting about 10 mils, which I was Oh, nice. It's yeah. so satisfying it's once quite, you start to yeah. get little drops of it, right? <laughs> I know. And this, it's so strange when the first drop comes out, you're like, oh my gosh, like it's just the weirdest feeling. <laughs> um, so yeah. So that's what I did to prepare. So not too much. Um, my birth plan was really simple. I think as a nurse, I I knew that a lot of things wouldn't go to plan. So I kept it really simple and just wanted to create just a calming environment. Um, and had an epidural. That was probably my main um, yeah want for the birth. Was I just didn't want to feel it basically. Yeah. So you obviously planned on going to the hospital to give birth then? Yeah, yeah, I planned yeah. on going to Auckland Hospital, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Cool, and did your labour end up starting spontaneously? Do you want to take us through um, that and how far along you were if it did and then, yeah, into your labour and birth story? Yeah, sure. So my due date was the 27th of April. So um got to my due date, I still had no signs about um, – labor coming on uh so I had a ultrasound just to check on baby and make sure everything was okay um I think a couple days later and then on the Friday I was 40 plus three and I just woke up in the morning just with some really light like period cramping and I just I think I just had a feeling that this was the day that I was going to go into labor so um I called my sister and told her to come up because her mum and Kian were going to be there for the birth. Um, so I called her and she flew up from Christchurch that morning. And at about 7am, I was just walking to the bathroom and I stopped in the doorway to have a chat to Kian and my water broke and it just like literally just gushed out everywhere, just like the movies. <laughs> yeah and I just thought I was peeing myself for the first minute and I was like oh, this is really embarrassing but uh yeah I, I realized that my water was breaking and I sort of went into a bit of a panic I think it's like the same feeling you get when you go on a roller coaster and you can't get off but you want to it just felt like okay what if I, I'm gonna have to give birth like I've got no choice now so yeah I think that anxiety of being being ignorant to the fact that I had to give birth and then suddenly faced with you know yeah the reality of this is happening yeah 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 so I had a little bit of a freak out on the toilet while my waters were breaking but yeah I sort of pulled myself together and um yeah I was determined to enjoy that last day of freedom um so yeah my sister came up and we met my dad for brunch um, while my water was breaking on the chair <laughs> um, in the cafe. So, and it was a really nice cafe. So in hindsight, that was a really terrible idea. I was just timing my like contractions while I was eating my eggs Benedict. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I think the waiter was a bit shocked about that. But um yeah, and then we just came home and chilled for the rest of the day. And my contractions were really just irregular and they weren't too painful, yeah, for the rest of the day. Um, and then I called the hospital and they just said to come in, you know, with the usual signs that five minutes apart, um, consistent contractions for an hour, I think. Something like that, yeah. So we just waited around for that. Um, yeah, so... That continued up until about 7 p.m. And I was really hungry. So we decided, again, this was a really terrible idea, but we went out for dinner. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, know. 
I live in Ellerslie, so we're quite close to Mexico. So we went um just we were just gonna get like a quick bite to eat. And at that point I wasn't having like really bad contractions still. Um and as soon as we walked in, I was like getting the contractions ramped up a lot. So we decided it was probably a really bad idea and everyone was giving us funny looks. <laughs> so we just got some Mexican, like takeout Mexican on the way home, just got some nachos and then came home and ate them. And then, yeah, my contractions started ramping up. Yeah, a lot by that point. Yeah. And so what sort of happened from there? Did you decide to go into the hospital or yeah, what next? Um, So I just called up the hospital and said that my contractions were becoming more regular and they basically said that like I might get sent home if I go in too early so just try and hold off at home for as long as possible so that's what I did and I just sort of dimmed the lights in my bedroom and just sent everyone out into the lounge I think um, my sister and my mum and Ken were just watching a movie Um, while I was in in my bedroom I just wanted to be alone which was yeah I think quite surprising for me I didn't want anyone being near me or I just yeah so I just labored for probably two to three hours at home and my contractions were about five minutes apart for two to three hours um I I definitely tried to wait until the last minute just so I could go and get the epidural and and give birth basically yeah so um I called up again at about midnight and they said to come in. So mum and my sister dropped me off, me and Ken off at the hospital and we walked up to labour and delivery. And yeah, they put us in a room and put the monitoring on my tummy. And at that point, the contractions were, yeah, they were pretty painful. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah, they were getting really painful. Um and the midwife checked me and she told me I was only one centimetre dilated, which was really deflating. I think I thought I was a lot further on because my contractions were so painful. Um, and yeah, so I told my mum and my sister just to go home and get some rest because we thought I'd probably be in there for, you know, 24 hours before I gave birth sort of thing. Um, and so they went home and I just kept laboring. We dimmed the lights in the room and um, just had some music on and I got on the Swiss ball and was just, yeah, bouncing up and down and trying to distract myself in any way I could. <laughs> um, and Kian was, yeah, just rubbing my shoulders and trying to um, coach me through breathing during the contractions. And yeah, at that point it was really really tough um the midwife came in and gave me some gas in air and at that point it had been about an hour since I'd arrived at hospital so um yeah so I just kept laboring um in the room and things started to ramp up a lot there wasn't much time between contractions and I projectile vomited everywhere like literally across the room basically onto the other walls (laughs) And the midwife came in and reassured me that it was just the gas making me nauseous and um, it was nothing to worry about and it's completely normal. So, again, I didn't think I was very far along um, in my in my labour at that point just because I I was only one centimetre an hour ago. So, yeah, I just I was begging her for the epidural and she just said, no, like you're too you're too early and in, into labour. We can't give it to you yet. Um, and yeah so that carried on for about an hour so it had been two hours since I was last checked and I got back up onto the bed and yeah the at that point the contractions were just like you can't even describe them they were just so painful I couldn't think I could I couldn't I could hardly breathe I was just trying to yeah get through them I think everything I'd prepared for had sort of gone out the window at that point and I'd accepted the fact that my body had just taken over um yeah so um that's when the midwife and the doctor came in and they were about to organize the epidural for me because I was in a lot of pain um and then I just got this overwhelming feeling that I needed to push and I just 
I just screamed at them and I was like, I, I want to push, I want to push. And then the look on their faces were like pure shock because they thought, they probably thought I was like two centimeters dilated and I was just being really dramatic. But um, yeah, and I was, I was being dramatic, but I think I had a good reason. Um, and the doctor ran over and he cut my underwear off with scissors and basically said that like he needs to check me and I was like no 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 like I don't want you to check me I think in the back of my mind I knew that I was about to push the baby out and I couldn't get the epidural um, and I was yeah in denial I didn't want to do it I was just refusing to do it I was like no I'm not pushing him out I like I'm not doing it and he was like well it's too late for the epidural and he checked me and he basically said yeah I was fully dilated and the baby's head was coming out so yeah I think I went into a bit of yeah shock at that point um yeah so um and then yeah I started pushing I didn't really have much choice I think my body started pushing and I just had to go along with it um and I was oh honestly it was I was a mess I was like screaming at them I was like help me please like give me the epidural and um yeah but at that point it was too late and at some point in that time I accepted the fact that I just had to just crack on and start pushing and get it over with <laughs> um so yeah I just um calmed myself down a lot and how many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. hand and held the doctor's hand on either side of me and um yeah started pushing with each contraction um and they noticed that Blake's heart rate was dropping um so they sort of told me to hurry up and um <laughs> and I had to just push as hard as I could um and obviously I could feel absolutely everything which was yeah it was horrible there was a lot going through my mind because you're trying to you know birth your baby and make sure they're safe and you've got that pain and the fear and yeah I think that was really it was it was really mentally challenging it was more more so than the pain I think it was the the fear of um having to yeah give birth yeah so that was really really scary um and then yeah, his heart rate kept dropping. So I basically pushed him out within 30 minutes. Um, and he was born with the cord wrapped around his neck twice. Um, and I looked down and yeah, he was lifeless pretty much. Um, just lying in between my legs, blood everywhere. And just, yeah, I just remember looking down. Ken was crying and yeah he was just pale and limp and um basically yeah looked lifeless so I was just like screaming at them to please help him and um asking them what was wrong with him and um and they asked Ian to push the emergency bell and a whole lot of people came running in and they took him over to um you know the area where they popped the baby on after they born the little incubator thing and yeah they worked on him for a couple minutes and thankfully he came back I think he was just like shocked um and he let out a little cry and yeah we were very relieved <laughs> yeah yeah so it was very intense and fast yeah yeah and how did you yeah. um I mean did they give him to you sort of straight after he started crying or what sort of happened with that yeah yeah so they just put him straight on my chest and yeah. um after that like I didn't feel any pain at all I was just <laughs> um relieved I think that it was all yeah. over and and yeah. yeah I think I was proud of myself for 
you know, birthing a human. I think I was just yeah. like, I was yeah. in, I was definitely in shock, but I was, yeah, yeah I was relieved. Um, yeah, he went straight on my chest, and I definitely didn't feel those, you know, overwhelming um, feelings of love. I definitely yeah. didn't. I think I yeah. felt just, yeah, shock. I was yeah. pretty numb. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so he was on my chest for about two hours, which was really nice. I think the midwife was trying to make it up to me. Because <laughs> she, <laughs> yes, yeah. she didn't organize the epidural earlier, and now she, yeah. like, she just left us to it. She was, she was really good. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I just breastfed him straight away, and, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. And then Ken and got to have a hold and yeah. Yeah, awesome. And did you need any stitches or anything like that? No, I didn't tear at all, which was yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. So um yeah, physically I was fine, like I I felt I felt fine, yeah, which was a big relief, yeah. But I think it was just more mentally I was yeah, definitely struggling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And did you stay in hospital then for long um so I gave birth at 2 a.m and we went to birth care at 7 a.m um oh I forgot to mention he was born on my birthday (laughs) um so yeah yeah um my whole pregnancy I I was adamant that he wasn't going to be born on my birthday and I think (laughs) he was adamant that he would be so um (laughs) Yeah, so we went um, over to birth care and, yeah, throughout the day I had a lot of visitors, which um, I think in hindsight I wish I didn't. I wish we'd had that time just to ourselves. But I think because it was my birthday and everyone was so excited that he was here, um, yeah, um, they just wanted to come and see him. And, yeah, so we went to birth care for about four days, I think three or four days yeah. yeah and I guess once the shock of the initial sort of you know fast ending to your birth wore off and um you wanted the epidural but you didn't get one and um yeah quite a whirlwind mm. sort of into your birth so how did you process those mm. um those feelings after those first few days and what did that look like for you yeah um they were hard they were really hard I think I was just I was numb I think I was, yeah, I didn't feel many emotions, probably for the first sort of one to two months after giving birth, I think. My my brain had just sort of shut that part out just and just was just focusing on, you know, the baby and, and keeping him healthy. And, um, yeah, so I think that was, yeah, it was really difficult for me mentally. I, like I said, I didn't hear anything physically. The sorest part of my body was my throat from screaming so much, <laughs> but yeah, everything else felt yeah, it felt fine. Um, and I yeah, obviously the lack of sleep I really struggled with. I had insomnia as well, so um, yeah, I think when the baby was asleep, I put so much pressure on myself. Like I have to sleep in an hour, or, or I'll be up again for another twenty four hours. That. I actually didn't end up sleeping. That was really, really difficult. Um, but the midwives were amazing. They like made me a toasted sandwich and gave me a hot chocolate when I had a mental breakdown at 3 a.m. because I couldn't sleep. And, you know, sometimes that's all you need. You just need to like, you know, take that pressure off. And, um, and yeah, my milk came in on the second night, uh, which was a really strange feeling. Like I literally felt it like flood in um and I basically looked like I had a boo job after about five minutes like it was really weird um and yeah I just um was breastfeeding him and initially didn't have that many challenges it was more just the pain of having really engorged breasts um that was the hardest part initially um but down the track things definitely got a bit harder um to yeah sort of initiate the the breastfeeding journey um first yeah yeah Yeah. and so what do you want to take us through what sort of happened um there from a breastfeeding perspective yeah sure so um the first couple weeks were okay and then I got thrush and Blake got thrush on his um in his mouth as well so 
it was really really painful to breastfeed like it felt like like I was being stabbed every time I put them on like I was crying and sweating and it was like really horrible um I I definitely didn't want to continue breastfeeding but I felt that pressure to um continue I think not from anyone else but myself I think I didn't want to put them on formula just because I think I was just yeah told throughout my pregnancy that breastfeeding was the best thing to do and and I yeah I felt a lot of pressure to continue doing that yeah it's like a societal pressure right like no one's even putting it on you but it's innate and it's it's there I definitely know that feeling yeah 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 definitely and then looking back I'm like why I don't know why I put so much like it's not it's actually not a big deal um no yeah but obviously as a first-time mum you just feel so much pressure to get everything right um yeah so um about 10 days postpartum we went over to Waiheke um where my mum lives just to get a bit of help from her um and that's where I yeah my journey got really hard um my postpartum recovery um at that point um I was still passing quite big blood clots and they were bright red um I thought that was normal but apparently it isn't (laughs) um and yeah it was quite painful um um and then on the ferry over to Waiheke while I was breastfeeding Blake I just felt some tenderness in my stomach and I didn't really think much of it um I thought you know it could be anything could be constipation or after giving birth you sort of can explain away any (laughs) any symptom that you have um and yeah that tenderness sort of continued throughout the afternoon after we got to Waiheke and throughout the night it definitely got a bit more painful when I was breastfeeding Blake I couldn't have him like lie on my stomach um I had trouble walking um I sort of curled over and um yeah and then the next day yeah things sort of got a bit worse for me just around that that tenderness and the stomach pain um and the bleeding sort of ramped up a little bit so I called my midwife and she said that it might be abnormal or it might also just be you know constipation or or something like that so um again I sort of explained away my symptoms and then I had a chat to my mum and we decided if I was still feeling you know sore that afternoon we would just pop up to the GP um and we're on Waiheke so they close at five and obviously you're sort of stuck on the island after five you there's not really any doctors around so we just thought we'd go before they closed um so yeah we just popped up to the GP and at that point I was feeling quite lethargic and unwell um still had that pain and was feeling quite hot and yeah sweating and just feeling generally quite unwell so yeah we went up to the GP and my blood pressure was like through the roof my heart rate was through the roof my temperature was over 38 degrees so they definitely thought I had some sort of infection um yeah so they palpated my abdomen and it was really tender around where my uterus was um so they thought that I had endometritis which is a um, inflammation an infection of the lining of the uterus uh yeah so they arranged an ambulance to come over and just um pop me on the ferry over to Auckland just in case things you know were getting worse um so the ambulance crew came and by that point like I was lying on the bed in the GP I was shaking um I was freezing cold but I was sweating and my temperature was through the roof and I was just so dehydrated. I just remember just feeling like so, so thirsty. Um, and the doctor there sort of tried to get a line in me probably five or six times, um, to give me some antibiotics. Just I needed that initial dose to keep that infection from progressing. Um, 
and I was literally getting worse by the minute it really like shocked me how bad I got and how how fast it was from having uh, having a tender stomach to literally being <laughs> lying on the bed and not being able to move and sweating and yeah just being really dehydrated um so they couldn't get a line in me and mum and her panic ran down to the petrol station and bought me four power aids um, and she ran back up and I think I had four power aids within an hour just sculled them all down just so I could rehydrate myself um so they could get that line in because obviously if you're dehydrated your veins basically collapse yeah um and yeah the ambulance came and they diagnosed me with sepsis at that point um which is what happens when an infection spreads throughout the body um so it's just your whole body responding to an infection rather than just the localized area um so that's I know how serious that is and as a nurse I think that hindered me a lot being a nurse because I think I knew I knew the seriousness of it and I knew that it can be really dangerous um and it's actually one of the main reasons that um, women die after giving birth is developing sepsis so yeah for me that was it was really frightening and then I had Blake crying because he was hungry but I couldn't feed him because I was too sick and Mum was running around like a headless chicken, like panicking. <laughs> yeah, I can just imagine it. I just picture my mum and imagine what that would be like, just total chaos. Yeah, she's basically like writing my funeral um, speech at that time, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh I think that's God. where I get my, yeah, my my dramatic tendencies from is from her. <laughs> but no, love her, but yeah. It wasn't that helpful at the time it sort of sent me into a panic um, <laughs> yeah. so yeah the ambulance staff tried to get a line in they couldn't and then they um at that point decided that it would be best if I was helicoptered to Auckland hospital um just because I needed I needed to get those antibiotics in and I was getting worse by the minute so yeah, we drove to the sports fields on Waiheke and the ambulance landed. It was very dramatic. <laughs> and um, at that point, I was feeling a little bit better because I'd scaled all the Powerades, um, a little bit more hydrated. So the, yeah, the intensive care doctor from the helicopter came on board and he managed to get a line in the first time in my hand, which was just such a relief. I think at that point I knew that I would be okay. Um, and yeah, he gave me some fentanyl, which is, which was great. Sort of um, got me a bit out of it mentally. So I think that helped me relax a bit more as well. So yeah. Um, and yeah, they loaded me into the helicopter and um, initially they said Blake and Ken couldn't come because of the lack of space and they could only have a certain amount of people um on the helicopter but we managed to convince them and we um strapped strapped Blake into his car seat on the helicopter <laughs> and they put some tiny little earmuffs on him and we gave him a, a dummy and he he sat next to me in the helicopter and he fell asleep within I think about 30 seconds of taking off because it's just it's the ultimate white noise machine I think <laughs> it was just like <laughs> just like yeah lulled him to sleep and he he was having the time of his life I think um <laughs> yeah so yeah we were taken to Auckland hospital after that. yeah yeah God, what a what a ride going from thinking that you yeah just had a normal postpartum symptom to all of a sudden being helicoptered to Auckland hospital I can't imagine yeah. how yeah. you sort of felt during um during that time and, and what sort of happened from there like how do they deal with the sepsis and how long were you in hospital for and yeah what was that like for you yeah so I went to recess um an ED and they gave me a whole lot of fluids and more antibiotics and pain relief and they just monitored me there for a bit 
And then I went up to the maternity ward um, and was just monitored there and was on antibiotics for, I think, three days. Um, and, yeah, so that was really difficult having Blake with me during that time because obviously I was still not sleeping. I was really run down and I had this infection and I was trying to breastfeed, which was really painful. Um, yeah, it was really overwhelming, I think. Um, yeah, that was tough. And my milk supply completely dropped after I had sepsis. I think it was just my body's response. It wasn't a priority, I think, making milk <laughs> in the big scheme of things. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And so with Blake... Um with you in the hospital did they offer you formula to feed him or were you still trying to breastfeed for that whole time or what happened there um yeah I just um pumped instead so yeah okay I was trying to pump to keep up my milk supply um and Blake at that point was having trouble latching on so I thought at that point it was just easiest just to pump and then um someone else could give him a bottle while I could rest um yeah so at that point I was still really determined to keep breastfeeding just again the pressure I put on myself to um yeah not use formula but um in the end I did end up yeah supplementing with formula and I've continued that up until now so he's been taking formula um since yeah basically since a couple weeks postpartum yeah. And how long did you end up spending in the hospital with sepsis? And um, yeah, what was your recovery like from that? Um, I was only in hospital for a few days, but I sort of convinced them that I was okay. <laughs> and just so I could, I could go home and, you know, be in my own space. Um, I think at that point, I was tired of being the patient. And um, yeah, I think, I was going to be a lot happier at home. So, yeah, I went home. But, again, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best idea. Um, I think I I didn't fully recover for about two weeks after sepsis, after getting the sepsis. So um, I was really, really fatigued, sore. My whole body was, yeah, still aching. Um, I think my, my body was just exhausted after, you know, giving birth and then going, fighting the infection um so yeah I was I was pretty run down and exhausted and looking back on photos I was like oh my gosh like I had no color I was just so pale um I think yeah I think I just put a lot of pressure on myself just to carry on and and yeah where in hindsight I probably should have yeah rested a lot more and and taken it a bit more slowly so hard as a new mum though or as any type of mum experienced or new when you've got a new baby like you're trying to recover not only from pregnancy and birth and you're with a newborn who doesn't sleep and then you're really unwell it's just yes that's such a such a um difficult time and thing for your body to go through but mentally as well I can only imagine it was really hard and exhausting too yeah yeah exactly and still yeah mentally trying to process the birth and 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 adjust to motherhood and yeah it's it's it was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be and I think I probably didn't ask for as much help as I should have at the time um I tried to just be super mum and do all (laughs) my stubbornness coming out (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and I guess how do you feel um now like obviously you're a little bit further down the track and um you've reflected obviously you've said a few sort of things in hindsight but I guess when you think about your birth experience in particular which at the time um you know you said that you were quite shocked by and um yeah I guess how have you managed to process that and what do you sort of feel towards it now um I think talking about it helps so much I think initially I shut down about it I didn't want to talk about it it brought back like all the feelings um, that surrounded the birth and all those like the fear and anxiety I felt during the birth. So I think if I had talked about it earlier, 
I would have been a lot better off. Um, and I think, yeah, I I might have had postpartum depression or maybe quite mildly. I wasn't, I was functioning fine. Like I, you know, got up in the morning and I did everything I should have and, and looked after myself reasonably well. But at the same time, emotionally, I shut myself out a lot. I think the lack of support for new mums is really shocking and uh, emotional support I would say Um, yeah I think I felt a little bit left in the lurch and um, yeah just like I had to fend for myself so I think yeah so talking about it helped a lot talking to Kean about it because he was also a bit traumatized uh, after seeing Blake you know come out lifeless and having to support me through that um yeah so I think honestly just talking about it and and time I think time does heal everything it's so like cliche but yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 no I think um there'll be a lot of people who sort of listen to your story and really relate to those feelings um of just you know not not being able to sort of process it I guess at the time um but it's probably really helpful to hear from your perspective now being a little bit further on down the track what sort of helped helped you yeah exactly and I think at the end of the day your mental health is so much more important than you think and not putting yourself first especially in that newborn phase and just doing everything for your baby at the time it might seem like a good idea but it catches up with you I think and and um shutting yourself off emotionally it's not good for your baby it's not good for yourself and yeah I think just just reaching out to someone and talking about it even if you you feel like you've got nothing to complain about I mean I had a healthy baby I had a really good physical recovery so technically I had a good a good birth textbook you know the textbook birth quick um yeah yeah but we all experience um, you know trauma differently right like our perceptions of birth are all different and your your um sort of plan and what you wanted and then also having him um come out and not being sort of what you expected that to be like yeah for sure we all experience mm-hmm. those things really differently I think it's important to acknowledge that it doesn't always matter that we've got a healthy baby and we've had a quotation textbook birth when actually mm-hmm. you know you can still experience feelings of trauma out of that for sure yeah exactly and I think the bonding as well like it takes time to bond with another human being like you can't expect a baby to come out and you're like well some people I know some people do feel like that but I think a lot of people don't and I I the the more I the further away I get from you know birth and the more I get to know Blake I just yeah fall in love with him more every day and he's just like the most amazing little fun human being (laughs) ever so I think don't put pressure on yourself like it will come um and just just try and relax and yeah and and I think listen to your body as well I if I had listened to my body um at the start of my infection it would have been a lot less (laughs) um traumatic and I would have avoided sepsis is so it's so preventable um and if you get antibiotics as soon as that infection starts it doesn't develop into sepsis so I think listening to your body and and trusting your instincts and just at the end of the day if if nothing's wrong then great like at least you've gone and got checked out but yeah it's better to be safe than sorry I think yeah awesome well thank you so much Liv for joining me on the podcast and sharing your story and um I apologize for the little um well big noises that the little guy made (laughs) throughout our recording (laughs) but I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast and yeah I think you've got a really um unique and important story to share so just super grateful that you're willing to take the time so thank you yeah thank you for having me and taking the time to yeah listen to my story really appreciate it 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales and apologies for the quality of parts of that recording. Um, I did have a pretty unwell little baby at that stage but he's doing much better now. So yeah, I hope that you enjoyed the episode with Liv and I look forward to bringing you another awesome episode next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.